Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I'm not great with ironing as it is, but I I looked at my clothes hanging in my uh, closet today and I said, you know, I think they self-steamed. I think the humidity and the heat has just, the wrinkles are gone. Silver lining there. Um, Who was here? Uh, Raise your hand if you were here at the Global Leadership Summit this last Thursday and Friday. Do I have anyone in the room? Awesome. We had such a great time um, hosting that this year, and it was another great opportunity to learn from leaders around the world. Um, Hopefully, if you didn't come this year, if you want to try to come next year, that would be awesome. Um, Thank you to everyone who who did come. I so appreciated the conversations I had. Um, However, if any of you moos at me while I'm up here, you know what I'm talking about. I will know it's you, and I will find you afterwards. So uh, for those who do not know, my name is Carrie, and I am one of the teachers here at Hope. We just want to welcome you today. And we are in the middle of a series called Basic, and it's kind of this Christianity 101 um, where we're trying to embrace this childlike sense of curiosity and wonder and say, okay, what? Why do we do the things we do? What do we really believe? Um, and you know, why do we do things like baptism? Um, what does it even mean, like Tom talked about last week, to be part of a church or to be the church? And so I feel like we're, we're getting a lot uh, from this series so far, at least I am. Um, so this, this week is a little interesting. Tom is actually not here. So I'm gonna pick on him today, just a little bit. No, he knows, I'd, I'd pick, him, pick on him if he was here too, so. Uh, So last week he was talking about the church and he did such a beautiful job and I know that was impactful for a lot of you and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that online. But at one point, you may remember, he kind of blindsided us all with with this adorable, cute picture of his baby nephew. Do you remember that? He threw that up on the screen. You know, and, and, and I don't know if you remember your reaction, but every one of you, pretty much as though it was on cue, you all just unanimously said, aww. Yeah, so you remember, yeah. And I sat there and I thought to myself, you know, that must be nice to just get everyone to awe like that, just, you know, 100% engagement, and maybe, maybe there was a little bit of jealousy in me, like, I, you know, that would, I would like to have that moment. And then, not that I need validation or that I'm in any way competitive, but I, I thought to myself, I bet I could get them to say awe like that when I teach next week. So, Tom... I hope you enjoy your vacation, but if you're watching this later, there's going to be a moment in this service where everyone also says, ah, because I'm going to beat you, and no, it's not a competition. It's no. no. Um, uh, Oh, no, this wasn't, this isn't the cue. (laughs) See, Tom, I'm going to get him to say it twice. Just you wait. I'm off topic here. Um, So we are talking today about the idea of sharing your faith. What does it mean to share your faith? Why do we share our faith? And you know, I think this is an interesting thing to talk about because as much as it's foundational probably to what it means to follow God and, um, and to be a disciple of him, I think it's, if you're like me, it's one of the things actually that I think a lot of us struggle with. And maybe especially in our culture today where we have a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of hangups or maybe some fear about how do, we, how do we engage with other people? How do we do this in a way that's, that's kind and authentic? And, and so we have a lot of questions 
Maybe you do as well. Um, but basically, the, the short answer I would say is sharing our faith is basically saying when we have experienced God, when we've experienced the hope that we have in Christ, then it's, it's us turning around and telling other people, letting other people know about that hope and how they can also have that hope. Now, maybe you've heard different words to describe what it means to share our faith. Um, and I would, I would actually encourage you, as you listen to these, these words, pay attention to what the connotation does in your heart. Maybe even just the idea of sharing your faith right now, um, maybe, the, maybe you're already feeling a little tense. Maybe you're feeling like just a wave of guilt. Maybe you're excited. I don't know where you're at, but I, but I think it's okay for us to pay attention to how things make us feel and then to say, okay, God, what, what does this reaction say about what I'm believing or about what, um, maybe what I understand about this? And then letting God kind of shape us and work us. So as we go through this message, wherever you're at with this idea, I hope that you um, just leave with a greater comfort around this idea. So maybe you've heard people say things like witnessing, I'm gonna go witness to someone, or the fancy like proselytizing, or um, maybe it's trying to convert someone, which I know again maybe has a more negative connotation for some people. Maybe you've heard the phrase evangelism. Uh, maybe you think of someone like Billy Graham who was a famous evangelist and would spend his, his time at these crusades really telling people about Jesus all the time. Um, you know, I, for a long time, I did not like the word witness. I, I don't know what it was. I think it just felt like a little fake and forced to me. And that concept of, oh, we need to go witness to people, it just felt a little weird to me. But I think what changed that for me was I, I looked at the story of John the Baptist and the idea of the moon. And that changed the way I thought about witnessing. Because the Bible says that, G, or that John the Baptist came as a witness to Jesus. John 1.4 tells us that Jesus is the light of all mankind. And verse 5 through 8 goes on to say that the light, Jesus, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And if I just pause right there, I think that in a nutshell is why we share the gospel. Because if we look around, people are experiencing difficult things. They're experiencing the devil's schemes and discouragement and danger and darkness, and we have a light that is not overcome by that darkness. And that is why we're sharing the hope that we have. Verse 6 says this, though. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the, that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And so I love this idea, and I've probably shared this before, but, but basically the Bible is saying that, that Jesus is this powerful light source, and John was not the light, but he was meant to be a reflection of the light. And it reminds me so much of the way that the sun and the moon interact. So the sun is this powerful light source, and the moon gets to shine in the darkness in the middle of the night when the world just is experiencing darkness that moon is this reflection of light that reminds the world that there is hope, that there is, there is goodness, there is light out there. And so in the same way, God says, when you come to know me, when you have found hope in me, in my light, then you get to then reflect that light back to a world who is living in the darkness. And so one of the things that this, this reminds us is that it is not our job to, to like save someone or to, um, to force the light on them. No, we're, we just get to be reflectors of the light source and invite them to be in the presence of the light as well. And so I think that I get, part of that takes this pressure off because I think maybe in our minds some of us are afraid or worried about how to share our faith because we're like, what if I do it wrong and I screw it up and, I, and then like someone's soul is 
God is, God is so much bigger, and it is, it, he is the light that we're drawing people towards, that we're inviting them to encounter. When you've experienced God, when you've experienced peace and joy and hope in him, we become reflections of those things. The Bible says it's like we're making an appeal. He's making an appeal to others through us. God says that he is the light of the world, and then he sends us out to be the light of the world. So what does that look like? How do we do that? What, how do we witness to the light or share our faith with others? And I would say that there's two ways that we do that. One is through our speech, through what we say, and another is through our actions. We share our faith through speech and actions. Those two things go together. Colossians 4, 3 through 6 talks about this, and I want you to, as we read this passage, notice all the times that there's a word that talks about speech or speaking. I pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So did you catch a few, a few verbal cues in there? God talks about, um, or Paul talks about the message we're sharing, how we're proclaiming it, that our conversation be full of, full of grace so we may know how to answer everyone. And so these are all verbal reminders which, which makes us realize that when we share our faith, at some point we're probably gonna have to open our mouth and let, and let something come out of it um, as we're sharing the hope that we have with others. Romans 10, 13 through 15 also uh, puts it this way. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And part of what I love about this passage is it reminds us that I know we can sometimes have this fear of sharing, sharing our faith or what that looks like, but this, this verse reminds us that when we are sharing a message of hope with the world, it's a beautiful thing. We're, we're messengers with beautiful feet because we're bringing something that the world desperately needs. But we're also not just called to speak about our faith, but really to, to act through our faith. And, and I believe this is partly um, allowing God to transform our lives, that when God has impacted us and transformed us, our lives should look different than the way that most of the world operates. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable, honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And I, part of what this is saying, it's not just about morality, right? I know when I was growing up, a lot of times maybe you heard this phrase too, um, oh, be careful, you don't want to ruin your witness. Okay, you don't want to do something and screw up and then somebody sees it and then they never want to follow God because you just you screwed up so bad that they don't want Jesus. Um, and, I know, and I know there's a piece of that, right, that we, we don't want to live in hypocrisy. But I also believe that this, is, this passage is not saying, oh, just make sure you never make a mistake. It's, it's let God, um, when, when he's transforming us and we have this peace and this love and this joy, I think this passage is more about the way that we're living out of the overflow of the goodness of God in us than about trying to check off some morality so people, um, 
see that and think that, okay, you know, that we're not hypocrites or something. Um, but I love that this idea, the Bible talks over and over about how our faith and works go hand in hand. And so when we are believing in God, when he's transformed us, that should overflow to our actions. So despite this, I know you were talking about what it means to share our faith, but I think, I think we still kind of wonder maybe at a practical level, what does it look like? When I, when I go and start to talk to someone about my faith, maybe we still kind of feel this, this sweat come over us and we don't know what that looks like and we get a few hang-ups. And I think part of that is because maybe you, like me, have experienced sometimes times where we have shared our faith in ways that, that kind of didn't feel authentic or didn't feel um, loving. Maybe you've watched other people try to do that and you've said, is this really how it would it means to share our faith. And so I want to talk really just briefly about some things that I think we can be careful to avoid when we're trying to share our faith, and then um, how God wants to maybe replace those things with how he does want us to share our faith. So I think God wants us to avoid when we're sharing our faith being, being um, unnecessarily forceful, being fear-based, being fake, and being too formulaic not too forceful, not fear-based, not fake or formulaic, and we're gonna replace those F words, as we should, with, every parent has some word that you use in place of that, right? Um, maybe that's just me. So, and we're gonna replace that with glam. Some glam, some gentle, love-based, authentic, and mystery-embracing sharing our faith. We're gonna replace those things with gentleness, love-based, authentic, mystery-focused sharing of the gospel. So we're gonna look initially at the first thing here. What, what do I mean when I say sometimes we are a little too forceful? Well, you may remember if, uh, several weeks ago we did a series called uh, About Difficult People. And one of the kinds of difficult people we encounter... <laughs> Man! I'm at two, Tom. Am I good? I'm fine. I haven't been shocked. We're good. I'm being too forceful. That's what it is. That was, that was my, my, tech my tech team is awesome. Let's give them a hand really quick. Those guys, those guys are fantastic. Um, yes, yeah, so sometimes we don't realize that they're back there until something seems to go wrong. But I tell you, 99.9% .9 of the time, everything's going right, and it's all thanks to them. So um, thank you, guys. Sometimes when we go to share our faith, faith, we can be too forceful, and we can be like those people that we talked about, the difficult people who are like, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm gonna just going to keep talking, and I'm going to talk right over you, and if you try to say two words, I'm going to argue, and I'm going to like shut you down. And I think sometimes we get so excited maybe to share our faith, but we don't realize that maybe, well, you know, we're sh we say something. And then, have you ever had those conversations where you say, you say something, and then the person starts to give an answer back, and then in your brain... Instead of really listening, you're like thinking of your next argument. You're like, oh, no. Okay, no, I can say this, and I can totally override what they just said, and I have this great argument. And I think we have to be careful that when we're, when we're sharing our faith, it's not, it doesn't turn into this argument. It doesn't turn into this, let me just give you the, the 10 points and force you to see things my way. Because the problem is if we're trying to force someone to see things our way, we probably aren't listening in fact, we're probably missing some of the underlying pieces of the person's story that give us clues to how God wants us to connect with them. In fact, there may be some times where someone is talking and God is actually giving us a window into some similarities that we have with them. And he's saying, look at this is an opportunity for you to connect with them. And if we're focused on being forceful and just 
being a bulldozer, we're going to miss those opportunities. God has not called us to be a bulldozer, but a seed planter. Those are very different concepts, and that requires us to have some gentleness. 1 Peter 3.15 shares it this way. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those that speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. And I think the first thing this points out for us is it goes back to the actions that we're, that we're living. If we're living in a way that is different than the culture, in a way that expresses our hope and the joy that we have, it's probably going to lead some people to ask us questions. People are going to notice that there's something different. And maybe it's, maybe it's something like, man, I noticed that you volunteer a lot. Why do you do that? Or man, I noticed that you're, you're very generous and what's that about, you know? Like, aren't you worried about, about finances? Aren't you worried about this? Or maybe I, you know, maybe uh, it's, it's a conversation about, um, like, man, you, you, you really seem like you, um, just the way that you don't gossip or the way that you, whatever it is. And then it gives you an opportunity to say, yeah, you know, this is because I, I give because honestly, I have a God who's generous towards me. I, I give because I'm not worried because I know God's going to provide or whatever, however those answers come up for you, um, that we don't actually always have to force the conversation. Our lives are going to be um, an invitation to others to ask us about, our, um, about the hope that we have. Um, people are going to be curious. And second, when we do give people answers, this tells us how to do it, right? It's the, the G and glam is gentleness. We need to do it with gentleness, learning to listen, learning to let people share their story. And, um, and even, you know, like I remember, I'm not always great about this, but I remember one time this person I was talking to was sharing about um, her spiritual experience. And, you know, she's like, I've had like spiritual dreams. And I sat there and I was like, I feel like God has given me spiritual dreams. I feel like I've had dreams that were significant. And so I told her that. I said, yeah, I feel like I've had, I totally get that. And instead of trying to shut down what she was saying and be like, no, that's totally wrong. I was like, okay, God, how can you use this to, to create some, some commonalities and to keep the conversation going? And that's another thing. I think sometimes we fear that when we talk to people about our faith, that we have to just all in one conversation, you know, like tell them about Jesus um, and get them to pray some prayer and get them to this position of okay now they're saved and guys I believe that God so much so often is this God of process and it's ongoing conversations that people are going to have with us as they see us it's the neighbors and the people that we work with that see our lives and, and experience conversations with us over time and that's okay we can sometimes just be so forceful and, and sometimes again in a, in a, in a well-meaning way. I think about it as a parent even sometimes with our kids how we're like, man, I just really, I so want this for them and sometimes we can find ourselves being, you know, forcing and pushing things on them. But the truth is that God wants to connect with people and our children even far more than we want that for them. And I love how um, Lacey Finn Borgo in her, in her, her book called Spiritual Conversations with Children um, she says, sometimes as adults we get into controlling and we fall into broken patterns of thinking about children and about God. She said, we move towards models of babysitting, entertainment, or worse, manipulation through fear and shame. But she says, Jesus seems to be inviting the adult to empower the child and move out of the way. He is inviting the child to a direct encounter. 
I think this is helpful whether it's with our children or with adults that we're encountering. We're sharing, we're sharing our faith. We are reflecting the light to people. But, but ultimately, Jesus is saying, I want to have that direct encounter. You don't have to, you're not responsible for that. You're not in control of that. So with gentleness, you can share and then let me work. Let me move. Trust that I'm doing a work that you can't always see. So sometimes we're too forceful. Other times I think we, we approach sharing our faith with a fear-based rationale. What do I mean? Um, I'm sure that you have seen ads for, um, for maybe home-based, like home security systems. And let me ask you, when's the last time you saw a home security ad that had this like really buff six-foot guy sitting in the kitchen? The, it's, you know, it's sunny out and there's some happy joggers going by like... No, no, usually it's like the, the, it's the, it's the, the dead of night, it's probably stormy, and there's this like 110-year-old woman, and she's frail, and she's sitting, and she's scared, and she's like, all she has to defend her is her knitting needles, and, and then there's like a guy in a ski mask and a crowbar, maybe a chainsaw, I don't know. Um, but, but the whole idea is we're not going to buy a home security system if we don't sense some fear around it, right? And so it's like, how can I, can I push you and motivate you to buy this thing by giving you a little sense of fear? But unfortunately, I think we do a similar thing sometimes when we share our faith. And again, part of it is this maybe an urgency that's, help, that's healthy, but if we're not careful, we can use fear to try to motivate people to God. I remember I have a friend who said at age five or six, she had to watch this movie called A Thief in the Night, which talks about like the end times and basically what happens when you don't choose God. And it was this horrible thing that for her as a child was traumatic to watch. And the whole point of watching it was like, you don't want this to happen to you. So make sure you say yes to Jesus, right? And I remember even as like a 12-year-old, I, I remember going through this, um, it was like this interactive theater presentation and you went into different rooms and they would do part of the presentation. But one of the rooms you had to go in was supposed to represent hell and it was like stifling and they had all these heaters and you just, it was like ri ridiculous. And as a 12-year-old even, I was like, this is horrifying. And even though... I understand, again, why, why people may try to use that, but to me, it's, it's never, leading people towards Christ should never happen through fear because the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And in fact, if you look at the beginning in Adam and Eve and their walk with Jesus, the first fear comes into the world after they, after they sinned, after they, they were ashamed and, they were, um, and, and the fear that they felt brought a sense of distance between them and God. Guys, we do not follow a God who wants to create fear, but to eliminate fear. And so instead of being fear-based and trying to motivate people to this relationship with God through fear, instead, we need to focus on the love of Christ, the radical love of Christ. We remember that, that Jesus is the God who loves us no matter what. The God who says, um, I call you my children, beloved Nothing can separate you from my love. And when we live in that love and when we then express that to others, that is, is magnetic. That is what draws people in. And honestly, when we try to use fear-based approach to, to tell people about Jesus often, and we'll get to this later, but often it creates kind of this false understanding of who Jesus is. It creates kind of a fake version of Jesus. And that's actually the next thing I want to talk about. So we're replacing forcefulness with gentleness we're replacing this fear-based 
faith sharing, with love-based sharing. And we also want to make sure that we're not being fake, not being fake when we share our faith. And what I would say is there, for some people, um, maybe what they have come to understand of Jesus is a fake or plastic version of Jesus, almost what I would call like a, a counterfeit. And one of those fake versions of Jesus is this idea that Jesus somehow is a God who just is ready to smite everyone at a, a moment's notice, and people have this, this sense of guilt that man, maybe Jesus is just more concerned about my morality than about, about me. I don't know that he really cares about me, I just think he wants me to do all these right things. And without realizing it, sometimes we may be actually sharing a Jesus who's not, not, the, not the real thing, not the genuine thing. Pastor Judah Smith in his book, How's Your Soul, says this. If we polled people and asked them what they thought about religion and relationship with God was all about, what do you think they would say? I think many would answer, it's about rules. It's about morals, about keeping the Ten Commandments, about behaving and being good, and if they were honest, I think many would continue, actually, you know, I probably should go back to church. I feel guilty. My life's not right. I think God is mad at me. Maybe you grew up with this. Maybe you still feel this way. And if that's you, I want to tell you right now, God did not die for you um, to make you feel a sense of guilt and shame. He did not die so that you would, would come to church and check off a list of morality. Jesus died because he loves you and he wants to be with you because he delights in you, because, because he made you and he formed you and you are precious to him. And I think we need to be able to let go of those, those broken pictures of Jesus and make sure, first of all, that, that we're not believing that. And then also that when we share Jesus, we're not sharing that fake message of him with others. Another problem that we may have with this, this idea of being fake is that, you know, maybe, maybe you feel sometimes you've heard someone else share their faith. You've heard someone else share maybe their testimony, we sometimes say, which is the story of what God's done in your life. But the problem sometimes is we hear someone else and they have this amazing testimony. Like they were, they were totally addicted to drugs and then they, you know, were like whatever, all these horrible, horrible things. And then Jesus, they found Jesus and then their life totally and radically changed. And we're like, man, I wish I had a story like that. And maybe sometimes we, we try to like, or, or maybe we hear someone share about God or we, we read a version of how to share our faith and we're like, okay, I'm gonna memorize this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this down. And I wanna say a couple things here. First of all, your story is powerful because it's your story. Your story is a beautiful representation of what God has done for you and it's authentic. And people don't need to hear someone else's story. They need to hear yours what you have done, with, what Jesus has done for you, what you have experienced, okay? And it may, not, it may not feel like a lot, and in fact, it may feel messy. I think that's the other thing we, we sometimes forget. Um, it's not always like, oh, Jesus saved me, and now I'm, like, I'm living in just, like my life is like a perpetual musical, and everything is happy. No, so many of the times where I share honestly about, man, I've struggled as a parent, but, but Jesus, but, but this, you know, but I have this hope. I mean, this, this pandemic, this, this, you know, whatever is happening with Russia and Ukraine, that's, that scares me. But I have a hope that's bigger than that. And so sometimes it's being willing to just be honest about not just the glamorous things in our life, but the struggles and to say, this is my story and this is how Jesus has intersected my story. Do not discount the story that you have. It is powerful. It is God's story through you. 
Trust that God's going to open windows for you to share. And, and the other thing is it doesn't have to be a formula. You know, I think sometimes we can, we can kind of turn it into um, um, maybe this spiel we've memorized, like, you know, do you want to have salvation as well as all these uh, fruits of the Spirit? And by the way, there's, you know, several other benefits, which you can look in these 83 verses, just if you don't believe me. And all you have to do is just sign right here and then pray this prayer and you're good to go. Right? And we can, we can be a little bit inauthentic and God is saying, no, just be, just be normal, be natural, be yourself and share what God has done for you. And this leads me to our last F, F word, that we are avoiding, which is being formulaic. We, instead of being um, forceful, we want to be gentle. Instead of being fear-based, we want to be love-based. Instead of being fake, we want to have that authenticity. And instead of being formulaic, I believe that God wants us to embrace the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of how he works, which is always beyond what we can comprehend. Um, when I was young, I remember I would hear what was called the sinner's prayer. And maybe you've heard of this, maybe you've prayed the sinner's prayer. Um, there's, there's actually nowhere in the Bible that, that's a section called the sinner's prayer. Um, but as a kid, I was basically, it was like my mom read me this story and it said, okay, here's the prayer you pray if you want to be saved. Do you know how many times I prayed that prayer? Many times. Do you know why? Because I was so afraid I got it wrong. I was so afraid I got it wrong. And I want to tell you right now, that tells you something about what I was believing as a child. I was a fake version of God, right? I had this fear that if I didn't get exactly the right wording, that somehow Jesus was not going to save me and I was going to be totally screwed up and left out. Jesus is not about a formula, okay? When we, when we are inviting people to know Jesus, um, Jesus is the one that saves them. It is not a perfect prayer, okay? Jesus did not die for our sins so that then we would have to jump through a bunch of hoops because you know what that does? It puts the pressure on us again. It really says, okay, Jesus died to save us, but actually it's our job to make sure we do it right. So then that shifts Jesus saving us, and it shifts it to, okay, now Carrie has to save herself. That's not why Jesus died. Okay, and I, I guarantee you, at the end of my life, when I see Jesus, he's not going to look at me and be like, you know, Carrie, you, one too many conjunctions there when you prayed the prayer, and I was really looking for the word atonement. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you're out. No, guys, that is, that is not Jesus. That is not Jesus. And the reason I know this, don't just take my word for it. There's a story in the Bible that I absolutely love, and it talks about this man, um, and I'm missing, I'm missing the uh, reference here, so I'll have to look it up later if you want to know. Um, but it's about Jesus when he dies on the cross, and he's dying on the cross with two criminals. And here's what happens. One of the criminals hung there and hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now that doesn't sound like the sinner's prayer to me. Okay, there's, there's no like repentance there. There's no asking Jesus into my heart. But what does Jesus say after? Jesus answers him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. And what I love about this story is that sometimes I think we've reduced 
asking Jesus to be a part of our lives into some simple formula, and Jesus is so much bigger than that. The work that he did on the cross, it, it, it covers us in a way that we can't possibly fully understand, and that there are some people who maybe didn't pray the perfect prayer sitting in the perfect place at the perfect time of day, and Jesus sees the heart. He knows, and he is able to work and move beyond what we understand. I want us to know that we don't have to be overly forceful. We don't have to, to have this fear-based sharing. We don't have to be fake, and we don't have to be formulaic. But the final thing I want to t- touch on really briefly as we wrap up here is, um, I think as much as we have these pitfalls we can run into when we share our faith, the final pitfall would probably be that we just don't share our faith at all that we just are afraid to share it at all. And I, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, as, as much as maybe it sounds bad to say that I'm a preacher and I still struggle with this sometimes, it's easy for me to stand up here in front of you and to say, you know what, pretty much I assume that everyone here, unless you were dragged here under false pretenses, um, everyone here probably is, is somewhat open to hearing about God. And so it's easy for me to come here and tell you about Jesus. But sometimes when I'm out in the real world with my neighbors, with other people, I can find myself almost feeling apologetic. Like, oh, I don't want to step on toes. I don't want to, you know, overstep. I don't want to offend somebody. Maybe you felt that too. And I think for me, Jesus, as I've, as I've been going through this message, he's, getting, he's convicted me and reminded me, listen, Carrie, what you are sharing with the world The reason you're sharing it is because you have something of hope that the world desperately needs, okay? And when we share our faith, we share it because we have something that the world needs, and that is Jesus. And I know that that sounds simplistic, but it's true, okay? We know this because we've experienced it. We've experienced that desperation. We've been desperate for hope when the world looks hopeless, desperate for peace when everything around us screams anxiety, desperate for joy when the world sells cynicism, desperate for love when there's so much rejection and hate. Guys, we we need hope. And that is what we're offering. And you know what's interesting is that I think sometimes we assume people aren't interested, they don't want to to hear it. Um, And and again, sometimes we have to to feel that out when the time is right, the Spirit's going to lead us. But we also need to recognize that the world does need and want hope. Have you ever had someone who who tried to tell you about a product they've used, um, but it's something that you know that you need? Like my friend recently told me about a new deodorant that she's using, and I'm like, yes, I need a new deodorant. I don't know why, my pits are broken. Thank you, right? Or when I'm trying to potty train my son, and, and this is years ago, but and someone's like, you know what you do for boys? You put Cheerios in the potty. Put Cheerios in, helps them to aim. All right, great. See, and I'm happy. I'm not like annoyed that someone's giving me advice because it's stuff that I need to hear. Um, although it can, I can get a little too far, right? Because we have Google now. And sometimes if you've typed in, if you've ever had this happen, you type in like, oh, I'm looking for bathing suits. I'm looking for a new whatever. And then suddenly you get ads popping up everywhere. Like, oh, oh my gosh, how do they know? Um, this happened to me a little bit. I have a little problem now. I've, I've never in the past thought of, of buying a dog. I just, we, we never lived in a great place for it. My parents never had dogs. And now we're in this fun little neighborhood by the lake and I'm like, you know what? Maybe we could be a dog people, you know? And so of course we have, my husband's um, allergic to dogs. So we're trying to find the hypoallergenic ones. So I've been doing all this research online now about dogs. And I've started on Instagram following all these um, like dog breeders. And so it's like the Bernadoodles and the, um, uh, like golden, like mini, mini golden doodles, all the doodles. And so literally my, 
suddenly all my Instagram feed is pretty much these kinds of pictures. Um, I did it. That's three. That's three, Tom. You could probably skip the next slide now because that was, the next slide was going to be if you guys were all heartless and cruel and, and anyway, let me see if it's maybe, yeah, all right. I, I had a cue card for him. I was like, if they do not say ah, then I, you put this up because we're going to get it out of them one way or the other. Um, the problem with those adorable pictures is the more I see them, the more I'm like, ah, I have to have a dog now, right? Actually, it got worse. The other day, I, like an, an email I got, I clicked on the dog to look at it, and then, um, and then I, you know, X'd out of the tab, and then I get another email a few hours later that said, you left poor Lola behind. <laughs> and I was like, Lola, I'm coming. Now we're back to manipulation, right? I want to say this, though, as I, as I wrap up, and I know I'm going, maybe going a little over here, but... Um, I had this thought, like, when we type something in, when we search for something online and Google, like, records it and then suddenly we get all these ads, right? But I feel like God is calling us to, to be a little bit like Google, not in, a, not in a cheesy, stalkery kind of way. That's not what I mean. Um, but in a way that says we're listening to what people are saying. We're listening to the conversations we're having. And when someone says to us, man, you know, I just feel like no matter, no matter what I do, I'm so busy, but I never seem to feel like I'm accomplishing anything. Maybe that person's got a question about purpose. And, and maybe God's saying, this is an opportunity for you to share something. Maybe someone says, man, I'm going through this, this really difficult time right now. I'm going through a divorce. I'm going through something with my, with my parents. And God's saying, listen, when someone talks to you about those things, what they're really saying is, this is what I need right now. I'm desperate for hope. I'm desperate for, um, for someone just to, to, to walk alongside me. We begin to notice the conversations that we have and notice that, honestly, you know, we can sometimes make a separation between spiritual and regular conversations. Guys, I think that spiritual conversations are, are happening all the time. And God just wants us to have the ears and the eyes to see and to notice that. Start paying attention this week to what people are saying and what they're saying and how, how what they're saying is actually an indication of the hope and the desperation that they have for something more, for a greater purpose, for a greater hope, for a greater love. And then ask God to show you how you get to be part of that conversation with them. Um, I, I'm gonna wrap up with this uh, a quote by a woman named Heather Holloman. She wrote a book called Seated with Christ. And so her strategy basically was um, to start normalizing spiritual conversations. She said, I just started pretending everyone already had a relationship with God, which maybe sounds crazy, but she says, I assumed as Christians would that God was already at work in their lives. I assumed that Jesus was the best thing ever and that hearing about him delighted their souls. And what happened, she said, is essentially my speech normalized spiritual conversations and invited others to respond. And I just want us to get to this place, however it looks, however, for you, wherever you are right now. Maybe, maybe you're listening and you're like, man, you know what? I think I need to spend more, more time just with God on my own. I need to just, just write down and remember the things God has done for me so that when I do share my faith, I, I have that, that authenticity, that story that God has given me to share with others. And maybe for you, just instead of overthinking, I'm a, again, I've said this before, I'm a chronic overthinker. Maybe you just start to say, okay, God, how can I normalize spiritual conversations? Can you help me? Can you start to open up these windows for me? 
And I know that as God, as God works in us, he's gonna help us let go of, of that forcefulness, of the fakeness, of the, um, the fear-based formulas. And he's gonna invite us to share with others with gentleness, with love, with authenticity, and embracing that mystery of who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. God, I just wanna thank you um, that you are always at work and that you're a God of love and that you draw us with love. And I pray that for anyone here who grew up or is currently believing this lie that you are angry and that you are spiteful, God, I pray that you give us the, an accurate picture of you, that we would know the real you and not the fake version. Um, I pray that everyone here would just experience your love and your hope. And I pray, God, that even when it's hard and when we don't know how, how to do it and when we feel like we're making mistakes, that you would um, lead us this week Give us your wisdom and your spirit and lead us out into the darkness that we may reflect your light back to the world. Amen.